Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Nasiba Katrada, I'm also known as Dr. Kat. I'm from South Africa, sunny South Africa most of the time. I'm the founder of the Home Management COVID team and I've also just started my own alternative newspaper called Vuga SA. Vuga means awaken, that's what it is. It's Vuga South Africa, awaken South Africa. I am now just beginning to see there's a huge need for practitioners around the world to come together and go back to original medicine. So we are just starting out a brand new academy called Academy of Health and Healing. And we invite everybody from all around the world who want to go back to original healing and be healers again to join us at Academy of Health and Healing. Again, I'm Dr. Kat, and I used to say, I'll see you later, because I used to practice aesthetics. Well, I still do practice aesthetics. Now I'd like to say, there's a place for everyone, and everyone has a place. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Drozzi. I'm a Canadian veteran emergency physician and a teacher of critical resuscitation and trauma medicine. Um, when uh, COVID was launched into the world, I was the proverbial frontline doctor, and uh, I approached it, uh, you know, uh, quite trustingly and um, looked for solutions. And, and uh, as things progressed, it became very obvious that something was afoot, um, that uh, the solutions were being suppressed and that people were being misinformed. So uh, by the beginning of 2021, I took a sabbatical from all my regular work and uh, committed myself to activism. And that's involved uh, sharing, doing research, sharing with the people through Dr. Trozzi's organization and getting involved progressively in activism, such as Take Action Canada, Strong and Free Canada, um, and then um, was very uh, happy as the World Council for Health came into existence to be invited to be part of that. I sit on the steering committee and as well as participate in the Law and Activism Committee and the Health and Humanities Committee. And um, I remain committed to restoring a healthy and honest uh, medical community. And at that point, look forward to going back and uh, working in the emergency again. I'm Rain Trozzi, I'm from Canada. I'm a Trozzi team member at drtrozzi.org and I'm also the founder of Over to the Youth, which is a group of young adults focused on activism and building bridges between each other and our elder generations. Hi, I'm Melanie Aldridge. Some of you may know me as the executive coordinator of the Alliance for Natural Health International, a position I've been in for 17 glorious, wonderful years. And um, others of you may know me as a, a practitioner as well, which I've been doing for a lot longer than that. So my health journey started many, many years ago when I was very ill after contracting Graves' disease. Although it's a strange term saying contracting because we never really contract a disease, do we? Especially when it's a chronic disease or an autoimmune disease. There's an entire health trajectory that we follow. and looking back now and knowing what I know, I had an almost textbook descent into chronic disease. But it was my awakening and something for which I'm hugely grateful for now because it shaped my entire professional career and I think left me in a better position to be able to help others who are heading down the same path. Hi there, my name is Rob Verkirk. I'm the founder, scientific and executive director of Alliance for Natural Health International. 
Um, I am a sustainability scientist, ecologist, biologist. Last 20 years, I've been involved in the health sciences. Before that, I was pretty much focused on agriculture um, as an academic. Um, one of the reasons that we've all come together now is because this common view that there's something very wrong with the way in which societies, governments, intergovernmental organizations have come together to, in, in many respects, try and help us manage the SARS-CoV-2 problem. And, and of course, um, uh, many of us have some real questions around the origin, and we certainly have some major questions about the, the primary um, approaches that have been used, particularly the use of uh, um, gene therapy injections. Nasiba, amazing to have you here in Chilworth. Um, we're going to be talking about health threats. Everyone's been really concerned about COVID-19 for two years. Mm -hmm. um, COVID-19 in many parts of the world is not no longer the number one threat. There's monkeypox, there's a new infectious disease. But where are you at as a doctor in South Africa? What are the biggest threats to health? Personally, what I've been seeing is mental health has been a huge um, I would say um, it's suffered a lot during the last two years and people have not understood the ripple effects of the pandemic and that's for me is going to be the biggest challenge that we have going forward because no matter what happens we everything just comes back to the way a person handles it whether it's your immunity or whether it's um, degenerative diseases or infectious diseases they always have some aspect that affects mental health and it's something that's quite still stigmatized especially in Africa so people tend to look at infectious diseases more because now we've all worried about COVID and infection and coughing and sneezing but what happens with things like long COVID aside from that whether you have COVID or not it's the pandemic fatigue that's going to set in and a lot of mental health issues are stemming from pandemic fatigue. Mm, fantastic. How is it with you, Rob? What are you seeing? Well, you know, we, we've interestingly got a whole global population fascinated by infectious diseases. All of a sudden, this came in an era that we'd all been led to believe that we've got on top of infectious diseases. And the real problem was this burden of chronic diseases, also degenerative diseases. And um, we now have got this sort of double threat mm -hmm. of, of infectious and, and chronic together. And ultimately, at the heart of it is the fact that we, we are losing resilience. Um, you know, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 has been a virus that exploits weakness in the terrain. Mm -hmm. um, and if that virus can exploit weakness, um, so can others. And of course, we, we have jumped onto this technological bandwagon yeah. where people are still looking for a technological solution. And so society has seen fit to use these COVID-19 injections using novel technology as another method. Um, and, um, you know, we're now beginning to see the tip of the iceberg in terms of the adverse reactions here. So um, ultimately, if we don't start focusing on the terrain, on our constitution, mm -hmm. we're going to have, you know, an ongoing plague of infectious diseases, chronic diseases, and then obviously all the mental health problems you yeah. discussed. But also, don't you find that 
that's just one part of it because the entirety whether it's a chronic disease infectious disease mental illness entirely it feels as if we've lost our liberty or our freedom of choice when it comes to our own health and our own selves where we feel like it's 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 as simple as saying i've got a headache what, do I take aspirin and do I take, like we say, Panado, you guys have this Panadol here. Mm. It's your choice. While I'm doing nothing, I'm going to put some peppermint drops. That's my choice. Now, it's, no matter what we got, it almost feels as if this is what I'm feeling. Someone tells you how to treat it. Mm. You have to have some autonomy over your health. It's your body. You know it better than anybody that, else. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we again, the last two years have seen this transition in the mm. locus of control over health moving again we, we were all working towards personalization yeah. and individualization in medicine and now we're told look over your shoulders at the institutions because they're the ones who know best so we've got this kind of public health not just coming from national institutions mm -hmm. but from intergovernmental institutions yeah. totally and utterly disempowering the individual and and if you look at a bit of it just yeah. basically in south africa we went from um, there's this infection, everybody's going to die. Actually, they said 20% in the beginning. Everyone's going to die. Lockdown. From lockdown, what do we have to do? Oh, we don't have any treatments. Sanitize, social distance, wear a mask, and we went straight to gene therapy injections. Mm. A massive shift. What, what happened to treatment? What happened to treatment? What, what do you do as a healer? You're supposed to treat. Somebody's sick, you treat. You don't wait for an injection to come and say, oh, this is the, the therapy. Something has to be done in the meantime. And the mere fact that they literally cut that entire section out and they actually tried to control that so much because they were forcing the narrative, that for me was, was huge because we looked to those, because that's where we learned and the institution taught us things. So now when we were told there's this virus, then suddenly we, we don't get told how to treat it. We just go straight to injections. But then we keep waiting. How do we treat? How do we treat? And for me, that was a really good thing because we got together and we started saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? This is how I'm doing. And that's how we realized they've been controlling us for so long. Yeah. You, you South African doctors were the, probably the number one innovators in this space. So just briefly, how did that happen? Just because you couldn't rely on any public health mm -hmm. advice and you just, you know, use the Hippocratic Oath and, and you went for it. Well, also, you remember we also were involved in HIV um, AIDS issue. So a lot of people were a little more um, on, in the middle deciding is this right or is that right? And then this came, you have, we, we, we don't have a government that we can depend on. And we have to, as Africa, the whole continent, we depend on each other. And we have to turn back to what, what is available. And because our country is not wealthy, we have to look at cheap alternatives. And guess what? Those are the ones that work the best. And that is why we had, we had great success. And you know, Africa is the least injected continent at the moment and still will remain that way because we literally looked at the government and said what are you asking us to do imagine a person who's got um let's just say cannabis in their yard and they can use it for pain they have to take two buses a train and whatever to go to a place to get if you can get a gene therapy injection that's going to supposedly cure you that's like no way i don't have money to go there i'm going to smoke some weed or i'm going to take some cannabis and and that's what happened and, and we went back to the earth and what's available to you and that's the reason why Africa, like we know, Clayton and Bosch said, is going to save the world if people turn to what happened in Africa. Amazing. So, Mark, what do you think now are the greatest threats now that we're in this post-COVID 
um, era to people to health and to healthcare. I guess fascism, the fact that the you know uh, what what we've learned the last few years is with lots of preparation that a completely false narrative can be put upon the entire global situation that the world economic forum has infiltrated almost all governments almost all institutions medical licensing bodies that people can be completely deceived that so far the courts seem to be completely ineffective at supporting any law that people can be to the benefit of, I guess, Big Pharma, Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, and World Health Organization and others. People can be deceived, put into a fearful state, can destroy their lives, their businesses, can be denied treatment that any honest doctors who, who do their homework and can see the truth are eliminated from the system so they can't take care of the patients the people can at the same time as being lied to and deceived and misled they can also be poisoned and injected with things that aren't what they say they are so i guess those are the those are the challenges i see i mean it's very serious stuff unfortunately um how about you? What do you see? It, it is serious stuff. You know, from, um, from an evolutionary perspective, we may be where we are in 2022, but we're still carrying very much a Paleolithic genome. And there are certain evolutionary triggers that put us into survival fear. And pathogens, a fear of pathogen is one of them. Fear of death is another. Um, shortage of food. These are all really um, deeply embedded triggers uh, in our genes basically that you know survival has been something that we've had to get through all the way through evolution so some of the messaging i agree you know the emotive messaging to push people into that fearful state it's just you know enables the red mist to come down and it it triggers those those hot buttons so i think um a lot of people out there as you say who've been misled and they've they've really had that emotion triggered very much in them it's harder now to step down from that and i guess on the one hand a fearful population is a compliant population mm -hmm. and so what we really need to be doing now is working to really gently bring people back from that survival brink and um, start to show them a little bit more that you know they really it wasn't as bad as was put out there's a lot of choice and that there is actually nothing to fear. And I, I think, you know, this is where we, we start to really look um, at health again in terms of how the entire organism works rather than, you know, just looking at immunity or just looking at the lungs or just looking at gene therapy, new to nature gene therapy, when our entire body needs to work together. And obviously, you know, the other side from my background is um, how all of that stress triggers inflammation and then how that inflammatory response that's that's going off in the body then impacts immunity so i i see now we've got a huge um education sort of job ahead of us but gently because people are fearful 
and the ones who've really bought deeply into the narrative, it's um, we just need to we need to be kind and we need to bring them back from the precipice really really gently. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, perhaps I'm from Canada, so maybe it's a bit of an extreme situation. But again, you know, a, a, a sort of saying we have in Canada right now is if you go to see a doctor and they're not in, they're not in trouble with the regulatory body, you should run. So um, there's a, there's very much uh, in in many ways there's, there's there's a lot of control over the messages people are getting. Um, and if you look at some of the, some of the people controlling the messaging that people are getting, for instance, Bill Gates is, I mean, uh, you know, basically a, a psychopath who wants to reduce the human population is not the person we want directing us on how we take care of our health. Um, I think if there's one thing that this has revealed, the last two years has revealed just because of the extremeness of it was just how progressively sick it has been mm. you know since early in the early in the 1900s when the rockefellers basically sort of took over healthcare and turned it into a patented artificial chemical uh business um which really has has not done any good um yeah i know it sounds like a certain amount of lack of optimism in, in what i'm saying and, and that's partly just the way I work. I, as, I, as I've been going through this process, every once in a while I find I need to stop and sit still and look around and figure out what's the next step. And I'm kind of in one of those periods right now. So I'm staring very, very cold and realistically at the problem. Um, and so that's just where I happen to be that this day. Uh, I certainly agree that, you know, people need to take, we need to help people, we need to help each other take control of our health. We need to get away from this state mandated mm -hmm. germophobia. Really what's been happening is, is it's been a state imposed germophobia. Germophobia is a neurosis. It's an abnormal, unhealthy state of mind, but it's easily induced. A little learning is a very dangerous thing when it comes to microbiology. And then we have a huge populace right now that is that has been run in, in, through a very dangerous thing with lots of damage because of the ability to induce that neurosis of germophobia, um, which which is which is, you know, as 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 others would uh, explain here and, and Rob, you know, that we pay so much attention to this the theory of these germs that we don't think about the the health of our bodies, you know, a healthy immune system, you know, and and so for instance, and I don't unfortunately I don't think it's by accident that as we are being abused by the WE operatives who've infiltrated our governments and our institutions. Uh, I don't think it's, it's an accident that as they were launching a viral uh, phenomenon on us that they told people to be locked indoors because sunshine increases your vitamin D. I mean, this is literal, literally done to hurt people. Um, it, it's, I don't think it's any accident. Like we've known for a long time that, Children who do not play and touch the dirt and touch each other and get exposed to the, the microbiological soup in which we live, that their, their immune systems don't develop, that their innate immunity is never properly set to the point in history where they're born. Um, and so again, school closure, antisocial distancing, um, isolating children, 
Um, so much of what has been done has really been to destroy our physical, mental, and spiritual health. And unfortunately, uh, while, the, while the, the perpetrators of this massive crime against mankind, unfortunately, as far as I'm aware at this moment, they are still free and about. They are still with billions of dollars of budgets taken from the taxpayers uh, to continue these, these acts against us. Um, but despite that, and while hopefully, hopefully those that specialize in our society and justice and, and that the, the rule of law and, and rights of people have, have some place. Yeah, we, we have to help re-educate each other about how to live and how to be healthy. Um, and then how to exit this madness, which is the germophobia that was released with or that was you know flared with the COVID-19 story now who knows the monkeypox or moneypox virus or whatever else they have planned um you know constant use of fear yes I mean it's it's a constant use of fear and I think um those of us with eyes to see and ears to hear we just need to lead by example because when you've got people who literally have their higher executive functions shut down through the stress of being on that survival precipice they, they can't they can't hear anything else but gently taking them by the hand and showing them that all these you know disinfectants and antiseptics i mean they're just damaging the microbiome yes. and you know yes we know that all the steps that have been taken but i think that rather than being able to just fix it overnight we just need to gently lead people by the hand and live a different way so that as more and more people start to question what's going on, there's already a place and a community for them to be able to join. So Rain, from your perspective, we've been hearing some of the elders talking to us about what they see mm -hmm. um, as threats. And it's from a young person's perspective, you're probably not going to be um, as concerned about infectious diseases, you um, also, there's a long period of life ahead of you before you're at risk of degenerative diseases. But healthcare, is it a big issue for, for people of your your cohort, your peers? What are the threats? Well, uh, from my perspective as a young person, I have a lot of faith in my natural immunity to protect me from various diseases. Um, and I know that by taking good care of my health and my and my biome and terrain my natural immunity is built and evolved to protect me from those harms but from my perspective the biggest harm facing mankind is uh, centralization of power because um, in my experience looking at the COVID phenomenon it was really launched as just one component of a very long sequence of attacks against us and um, if the centralization of power isn't taken away and decentralized, these same people, these same dark manipulators, like they have in the past, all the way from 9-11 from, uh, up to the COVID phenomena, they have more planned for us, they have more war, they have starvation, they might have nuclear fallout in mind. Um, we don't know, but I think that the biggest solution for mankind is to central, uh, decentralize um, because we, we just shouldn't trust any individual with that much power. We all need to make our own decisions. 
it's it's really interesting to hear your perspective. Um, how many people of your age have you, uh, you know, in your circle, think like you do? Um, well, we're quite far into the the indoctrination campaign of mankind. Um, there's a lot of components in place to control thought, which begins um, with physical poisoning of our bodies to electromagnetic radiation and fluoridation to pacify us. You go into the school system, which is very um, oriented towards uh, obediency. But if you're a critical thinker, you're, you're often punished and put last. So um, it, it, it takes a, a rare percentile to be those first divergence to break away from the track that the rest of us are and on. And how does that feel for you? Um, to, to be part of an app group it, it feels good to be honest mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm quite i'm quite happy because I, I i feel sorry for the people that don't see it and i want to help them because i i don't see being comfortable on the way to auschwitz as a good thing i don't mm -hmm. think that's going to be a, a comfortable ending i'd rather be uncomfortable jumping off of the train early yeah. so rob um lots has happened and in this the last two years I mean, the fact that i'm sitting here with you uh, and lots of positive has happened what have you uh, gleaned from this last two years yeah it, it's very easy to focus on the negative um like all the people who didn't get early treatments um and um but but yes the, the very fact that that we are here um there's been a plan there's been a plan to to take control away from the populace at large and, and centralize it. We mm. talked about that in our first conversation. Um, but in many ways, what the last two years has done is, is concertina the amount of time that they had available. And of course, it, it was a moving goalpost throughout. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I think many of the people who believe that, and it really was nothing more than a belief because it was certainly wasn't evident, People who believe that these genetic vaccines would be the solution um, really felt that they would, over a period of time, be able to verify that. What we've seen is a complete collapse of that strategy. Yeah. In fact, nearly all of the, um, the gains have been the result of people's immune systems working pretty well, yeah. natural robust immunity building up, and a series of very cheap natural health products outperforming yeah billions of dollars worth of experimental um injections so um so yes we've seen the hand very clearly um we now have a clearer idea how we can come together and the collaborations that are forming now yeah. to be able to deal with it i think are really positive from your from your perspective how do you see I, it i'm gonna go really basic mm. for me it's this um realization of how important human interaction is, which we sort of lost. You know, um, I'm very much um, for advancement and technology and all of that kind of thing. But there comes a point where you suddenly stop and go, you know what, I mean, we were so lucky that we could continue schooling or conversations or meetings over Zoom, but nothing beats the human interaction, touching a person, hugging a person, seeing the facial expression, smelling what a person's like, you know, holding and hugging. And that kind of thing, we now, because of what's happened, we can we can understand it and understand what we missed so that we can have an opportunity to appreciate it going forward. 
it's like when you tell a kid, especially a teenager, something that you've learned from experience, they will never understand it because they didn't go through it. And now that all of us have been through this, we need, we, many of us have understand, understood the value of human interaction. And I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned about, um, especially coming from the perspective of a medical doctor, where the indoctrination that Rain spoke about in his conversation starts, it actually starts off for us at medical school, where I had three lectures on um, nutrition, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins in six years. The rest of it was about malnutrition, how you treat disease. And even if it comes to something as simple as diabetes, it's one line where it says diet, and then you've got this medication, this medication, this medication. This is the mechanism of action. These are the side effects. And I kept seeing that no matter what the drug was, to the point that our question in our exams were, what is the side effect of this drug except nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, death? Mm. Which means that everything can give you nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or death. And why are we treating people with that? And for me, it was stepping back and going, I've always had a gut feeling that I didn't want to give something to, to anybody to say, this is going to help you with that, but guess what? You may get nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or die. So I went, I started doing it for myself from natural medicines, but the last two years have gotten a lot of more support from qualified medical doctors who have been indoctrinated to prescribe medications for everything to say, wait, hold the phone. There could be something else that's going to maybe take slightly longer to treat the person. I could have a conversation about what diet is and what supplements are, as opposed to just scripting a pill and giving them all the side effects. And that for me has been huge because I've seen the need and a lot of doctors are coming to say, how do I use vitamin C? What? You're a medical doctor that didn't teach you how to use that? No. I know how to use an antibiotic. I just don't know how to use vitamin C. Like you guys say, vitamin C here. So, you know, for me, that was, that was really big. Fantastic. Um, so does it mean after all these times on Zoom that I can, oh my God, yes, you are actually I'm physical. Real, there I'm you It's really different. Uh, it, even understanding somebody and having a conversation. When I, was, when I was getting here and somebody asked me, are you going for, for business or pleasure? And I go, you know what? This is the first time it's pleasurable business. Yeah. Because, um, and having a conversation, because we've, we've probably spoken about, like you and I, for example, about many things on Zoom that we have this time, but we were able to break it down and understand each other more just because we could, we could, we were near each other. Absolutely. And, and for me, we, we, we have to, we have to tell the world about that, especially our kids. My daughter studied two years of medical school online. How do you study medicine online? And yes, the technology is there, but we have to know where, where to draw the line. I mean, they've got all this advancement of being able to do surgery now by robotics and all of that. But you know what? If you want to heal somebody, it's that physical touch. It's talking to the person, sitting and giving them time to listen to them is already half of healing. So we need we need to go back to that and go back to the basics. And it's so weird that we have to go backwards to go forwards. Yeah. That's what I think. And I, and I think for a lot of the <laughs> medical doctors we've been working with for the last year and a half, mm. they have realized for the first time, because it wasn't in their training, yeah. that that it isn't actually the medic that heals anyone. The only element that can heal us is, is our own body. Mm -hmm. So it's how do you create, how do you change that environment to engender self-healing? And that means it's got to be, particularly with these complex conditions that are the result of, of um, damaged constitutions because of diets, environment, yeah. stress, 
Um, we've got a lot of stuff to do and the education system and certainly the health care system that is really a disease management system has yeah. just not prioritized that. And we've seen also the, this gaping problem with public health, this kind of one size fits all doctrine that's trying to push people down a channel that doesn't really talk to the real science. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a story, I mean, we've, we've, we've been inundated with and bombarded with articles and news. And mm -hmm. There was an article about a group that was told that their quota hasn't been reached mm -hmm. uh, and of the gene therapy injections, they need to get people, they have to get into the rural area. I think it was in Tanzania that they asked them, the doctors need to go out and vaccinate mm -hmm. the people. And the group of doctors who were completely pro-vax got into vehicles and drove out of the, the, to the, the rural areas. And when they got there, they find a healthy bunch of people tilling the soil, planting stuff, and they go, you know, we're here to vaccinate. What are you on about? And and there was complete, no thank you. We don't want those. We don't even know what COVID is. No COVID, no masks, no anything. And on the way back, they had started having a conversation. And one of them, we took one courage of one of the doctors to say, listen, did you notice that all of us went in? Look how sick we look. And we've been on this side. It's not We're not sick because of treating. We're sick because of all the stuff we're taking. They were out there in the sun, uh, eating natural foods, and they taught us a lesson. We should. We don't need to give them what we think is right. We need to do what they're doing, because obviously they look so much healthier than us. And for me, it's those people who, you know, doctors have big egos. Mm. They think they know everything. Mm. And for those of us that have stopped and said, wait a minute, somebody knows better than me or something is better than what I've learned. And that's when the enlightenment for a lot of people has, has changed. And they're now saying, hey, sunlight is so important. The first thing I tell a person who phones me now when they were sick is you need sunlight and it, it's, it's get outside. And I explained to them, go and sit in the sun, mm -hmm. take something to drink, sunlight, hydrate, and take some family member with you mm -hmm. and make sure that you're having that. So it's the three things that they, they took us away from. And for me, just those three things make such a big difference. Sometimes the patients will tell me, Doc, are you serious? I must actually talk to somebody. Like, yeah, what is the, the, what do you want when you're sick? You want empathy, you want love, you want care. And when somebody's with you and understands, and they're not afraid of you because you're sick. Mm -hmm. You've done it for the people who have the flu. And that basic thing of going back to healing and helping and empathy with our patients is so important. So many of the doctors who really practice compassion and empathy are the ones who actually face the greatest challenges from their regulatory bodies because alongside that they're often you know following the Hippocratic Oath and they're delivering nutrients and all the rest of it. Just one more question that's fascinating. Mm. Given the World Health Organization has been so active yeah. in Africa for so long with medication and vaccination programs, um, why is it now on this occasion there is so much resistance in Sub-Saharan Africa for these COVID-19 injections? Well, it's because the writing's on the wall, isn't it? People have noticed and realized that, um, you know, um, what happened with HIV, with AIDS, it's literally, Africa is basically the guinea pigs for the rest of the world. And they, they were like, we know no more. We don't want this anymore. And they have realized that, and it's by themselves, the campaigns that were set up were done really well for people who have mainstream media and people who have social media. The masses in Africa are out there. They're worried about where they're going to get the next plate of food. And it's the same reason why it's so difficult to get so many people to vote in Africa, because you don't even reach, your message doesn't reach there. So the message that was coming to us, we got, the doctors were getting it right, right in the beginning. 
isolate for 14 days, no, it's 21 days, no, it's 10, no, it's 7. By the time you even change it, the message is already different that actually went out there. They saw right through it. I used to drive through to um, squatter camps because that we had no, we were uh, doing lockdown, only medical person, personnel were allowed to drive around. And I had a permit and I used to drop my helper off. And it, it was the most ridiculous thing. If you're a medical doctor, you're allowed to have your helper. If you were a regular person who was at home, you were not. So I'm actually the one who's being exposed, mm -hmm. but I can have a helper. So I used to take her and drop her off. Um, and not a single person was wearing masks, nobody was dying. And they saw it for what it is from the get-go. And and that's the the and that for me that's the reason why it's different. I am concerned though that the complacency has set in all around. So they're complacent about listening to um, authority when it comes to or oh, go to get the jab or wear a mask. But it's it's also the other way where you have to do something about it. And only when the collective comes together can we fight. So with the power that's there, like you're talking about the UN and the WHO and all of their their hand in Africa. Where's the opposition? The people know it, but it's a bit of complacency, or they've probably prioritized differently, and they've they've said, "I'd rather worry about food than get vaccinated. I'd rather worry about food than fight it." So it's it's not ignorance; it's more ignoring. And I'm hoping that um, ignoring is the same as opposition, because it's you know they're not it's non non compliance basically. Mark, I can touch you after all these. Um, yeah, yeah, look at this physical contact. Yeah. There's no screen. No, no I'm here. No screen. Yeah. No sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, what have we learned? What have you learned? What have I learned? Well, I guess a few things. I mean, one big thing is is we're we're not as naive, and I know I always kind of peek over the fence at the criminals involved, but we we're a lot of us at least are just completely aware of how how misled and how diabolical people in high positions can be. So we're, you know, the old saying, we won't get fooled again. So that that's that's one thing we've learned. I think certainly uh, something that I've learned, um, because this has brought together people from very different disciplines. So, you know, um, there's that portion of society uh, that looked out the window as you and I did and all of us did and said something's not right. Uh, that portion of society that rather than memorizing the constantly changing mandates of public health and calling that intelligence. Just out of interest, when was that for you? Oh, uh, March 2020. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's those of us who dove into the study, you know, and, um, and, and saw the huge disconnect. And so you have people like an emergency doctor, you, you, you have a PhD biologist in a plethora of, of areas, you, you know, um, you have mental health experts, you, you have journalists, you have legal experts, um, you know, e ecologists, like it's brought together so many people. And it's, and what brought us together was the common fact that a combination of, I guess, self-respect and critical thinking we said something's not right all of us did our part in our little corner but luckily coalesced over time you know till you get to the point where you are now where like you know there are global bodies like the world council for health or the world doctors alliance and and for instance you know sitting on the health and humanities committee with both nasiba and yourself for me i've been exposed to a lot of stuff 
as Stephen pointed out, we weren't taught in med school. You know, like last week, I, I, Stephen Becker was telling me about ways to treat cancer that have been around for 15 years that basically use cells out of people's own bodies. So I think that's a, that's a big thing. At, at the same time as we learn not to believe the propagandists, not to leave big pharma, not to believe, you know, world like a fauna and when all these people we're discovering. I feel like I'm back at the beginning of my training in many ways, because there's so much I didn't know. So as much as, you know, in my emergency department for 25 years, I've been an expert, you know, I feel like I'm just at the beginning of the encyclopedia of, of how to approach health now. And so I think that's as much as it's a humbling thing, um, it's a good thing. And in, in some respects, what happened in medicine is that you were not just specialized, you were hyper specialized. So when you're in your emergency medicine container, you're still not looking at the whole system. And what, for me, one of the astonishing things I've discovered is, is, is that medical doctors through their training, I mean, you know, I have to say my son is a medical doctor, so he's been through a similar training, but within that you don't really know how the organism the human organism works you know a lot about what happens when it starts breaking down and what you need to do then but actually how it works how it functions is not really part of the training and i think that's where it's been so interesting to see um doctors who hadn't got prior experience of using natural products seeing that you're giving these agents that are just facilitating a process they're not obstructing a pathway they're actually facilitating yeah. pathways that had shut down for a range of reasons yes and that really is how nature operates you need all of the systems to be interconnected and communicating with one another and so in many respects um, the medical profession the people who are really now on the leading edge of finding solutions to these complex health challenges are all looking at the system they're all involved in systems biology systems ecology they're all aware of the evolutionary background so that we understand the genomes involved and now when we're looking at pathogens we've got to look at the genomes and of course we're, we're in a world where you know computational virology has become a major thing you're looking at virology via a genetic sequence but of course that genetic sequence um, isn't static the way it's expressed relates to epigenetics and the epigenetics obviously a big part of that is how genetic expression changes because of the different environments we're in so for me this is why a centralized global one-size-fits-all solution for humanity isn't going to work and we, we should have learned our lessons in in agriculture which is background i was previously in where we um we know that plants or the seeds derived from plants that have been grown in one particular locality are the ones that are going to be best adapted to that locality. Um, if you take them from another part of the world, they will be epigenetically different, even though the genetic sequence within that original seed might be almost identical, but the way it's expressed is different through histone modification, methylation, etc. But um, yeah, there's, there's so much that, that we need to learn once we start looking at the whole system yes yeah it's a, a respect a respect for nature rather than a, an arrogance of our intervention you know it's funny you, you reminded me of something that goes back 
a long time ago when I was in medical school and we studied biochemistry and biochemistry it's just mind-blowing when you just look at these pathways of enzymes and coenzymes and this molecule converting to this and converting to that and generating an ATP and like it's just you, there, you could fill walls with fine print of all the pathways going on in the chemistry of the body. So that was that was mind-blowing. And then the next year we went into therapeutics and we blocked that enzyme, blocked that channel, blocked that. And all we did was poison what existed to achieve an end. For instance, you can lower someone's blood pressure by blocking certain receptors that cause little smooth muscles to contracted blood vessels and yeah we'll lower the pressure but what's the long-term implications of that and i remember at the time thinking wait a minute with all this going on here surely we could work with the stuff that's there rather than poisoning what's there and so it always gave me an interest in nutrition but on on you know on what's happened over the last few years working in the health and humanities committee with yourself and being exposed to people who've spent their life studying that and finding out, geez, there's a lot known about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bringing that to the people, you know, and, and, and I hope that there's a lot of people in the world that also have woken up, will not be naive, will not easily believe big pharma and, and, and these other types. And to know that there's a whole bunch of natural ways to optimize their health to tap into. And now... You know, one of the good things is now we've got people from around the world, even though we started on Zoom, here we are in person, working on this together. Fantastic. So, Ryan, I definitely know from my perspective uh, what the last couple of years um, has thrown up for us. But from your perspective, I'm really interested to know what vista you're looking at. What have you gleaned over what we've all been through? Well, what I've gleaned over the last two years, um, since the initial experience of the doors I was interested in closing, but new opportunities opening with the crisis, and I, I just decided that when, when I saw these new opportunities, I'd jump over the dangers and grab those opportunities because it's what had been given to me to take. And I believe that on the other end of this, there's going to be a beautiful golden age, and we just have to push there um, because the dark forces guard the sacred places. I, I'm so with you. That is just, that's the most perfect answer. You know, I know you're young and hopefully you haven't been through a lot of abusive relationships in your life, but anybody who's older, um, you know, I don't know anyone who hasn't had some kind of abusive relationship in their life at some point. And what that teaches you is where your boundaries are and where to say no. Mm -hmm. And I think that globally, we've all woken up to where we are being abused, where we're being enslaved, and we've been offered a choice to be able to say, no, I'm I'm not going to say yes to that, and this is my hard stop, and these are my boundaries, and you're absolutely right. That is the direction that I'm going in. So I actually feel, I actually feel positive about what's happened. You know, the human condition is one of those things that we, we learn in our personal growth comes through challenge and hardship and through pain. When we're really, really happy, we just cruise along and we don't really learn through that. So I know there's been huge suffering for very many people and a lot of people have felt hopeless and deeply fearful. But through that, we've also been given a choice. And when you have a look at everything that needs to change, 
to be given the opportunity to be able to change that is amazing. And to suddenly realize that all the value systems that I grew up with, um, where we really took care of people, we wanted people to be in jobs, we wanted communities to be functioning, we wanted people earning a living, we wanted inflation down, suddenly that's all been inverted because the more that inflation rises, the more difficulty that people are put under, the more the fact that they're just sitting at home waiting for government handouts, you know, by 2030, you'll earn nothing and you'll be happy. There's the WF slogan. And for people like you who've stepped out, for people like me, for those of us who are all working towards the new golden age, we've said no to that. Mm -hmm. And we're turning another another direction and we're, we're leading people. So there's actually a huge amount to be grateful for. Out, out of the ruins of what's happened in the last couple of years, we, we, we get to create a new. Yeah, mankind's, uh, I believe it's finding its voice to say no and to stand in self-respect. And when we have both critical thinking and self-respect, we can't be ruled anymore. And this has been the perfect chance to find that in ourselves. And you're describing sovereignty. And I think everybody is really understanding what it means to have personal sovereignty and to be able to exercise those rights. So yes, and through respect, through sovereignty, we're empowered then to be able to do more for ourselves and for others. And we are the 99%, mm -hmm. and the power actually does rest with us. So a lot of good has come out of the pain and the suffering and the darkness of the last couple of years. And I think it's only going to get better from here. I agree. So, Nasiba, in a lot of respects, the last couple of years has offered us a clean slate. So, with that clean slate, mm -hmm. what would you like to see? Where do you think we can go and what can we do with that now? I'm going to tell you from a medical perspective, because for me, that's where my heart is and that's where I think I want to put in my efforts um, for building a new. Um, what I think that we need to be doing is to go back to original medicine. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to say alternative medicine because it isn't it is an alternative what we're doing now is the alternative allopathic is because original medicine is what we were we know as healers and we need to move away from um what we've been fed and we have to go back to healing and we have to become healers again and go back to original medicine and i'm very passionate about that to the point that i am um starting uh, an academy um it's going to be called academy of health and healing and that is to bring together like-minded people who suddenly realized, wait a minute, I was indoctrinated in my training and now I want to go back to be what I was destined to be, that is a healer. And that's what I thought I was studying. Now that we've had this chance to reset, but our great reset is going to be coming back to what's real. And we want, um, you know, there's going to be an opportunity worldwide for any person in the health industry, um, a health practitioner who's qualified under the narrative i want to say to, where you're saying listen you, you taught me anatomy physiology etc i'm not really happy with how you taught me how to use it what how, how to heal it and we want to give opportunities to people to learn you know basic things how to use herbs for um, medicinal purposes everyday uh, spices that, that are used and whether it is things like like vitamin c like cannabis oil other forms of therapies like frequency therapy, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, traditional African medicines, 
how to use that in your everyday practices and it's for people all around the world and there's so much of joy in learning about it because I've met weird and wonderful people <clears throat> more wonderful than weird and the way that they apply things together and sometimes people are doing it but they just don't, don't understand the science behind it and there is definitely science there and that's where for me I see medicine going in that direction and that is the future of medicine to go back to its original form. I couldn't agree with you more because that's the road that I've travelled. I, I wanted all my life when I was younger to uh, to be a doctor and to and to get into healing. And then <clears throat> my challenges with maths meant that I didn't go down that route. And I'm so grateful because I, I went down the route of original medicine and healing, which is what I've been doing for the last, well, too long. Yeah. So I agree, but I also would like to see us do more for mind, body and spirit as well. Yeah. We are missing an entire dimension and we're multi-dimensional beings and for for health really and for healing, we need to bring that dimension in. Mm -hmm. So at the Alliance for Natural Health, we've been so concerned about communities and wanting to strengthen communities that we brought in our A&H Pathfinders. So we have a membership pathway now and people can join. And within that community, I also host a monthly intention circle where we journey and we work on the the mind and the spirit and yeah. how we work on that side of the healing as well. So I think as we go forward to be able to manifest our sovereignty and health sovereignty as well, mm -hmm. it's yes, it's looking at the physical body, yes, it's going back to original medicine, but it's also to look after our, our spirit as well. And that allows us to hone our intuition so that we give the gift of healing back you know, to the seat of where it should be, which is within every single person. And mm -hmm. from that place, they're able to choose a guide um, to help them with whatever health problem that they've got. And so I just, I, in this world of empowerment that we're walking into, I, I can just see that people are going to be so much happier and healthier as a result. Oh, 100%. I, I have to agree with you. And, and you know, it's time to partner partner with people who are like-minded and also to hold hands with people on the ground because it's too much where we've been dictated to and we were told how to heal. So we were given the the trust to say you can diagnose X, Y, and Z because that's what I trained you, but I'm going to tell you how to treat it. And now we're saying, no, hang on. This person is not just a person with diabetes. This person's got diabetes with depression and the depression is because of an emotional issue. And, it, and if I can sort that out, there's a good chance that the diabetes is going to get better because it's all linked. We're not going to treat the medication, treat this one as the medication and make that worse. We have to go backwards and, and partner up with people who have, you know, um, expertise in different fields. And for me, we have to bring that ego down from, from the medical fraternity, you know, whether you call doctor or professor or whatever it is, and you like that, that title. What, what does it mean ultimately? It mean, means that you were chosen. I believe that people who are there as healers are chosen by God. And we are just vicegerents. We are mm -hmm. here to give, to, it's not, we're not the ones that heal, like you said. I believe that it comes from God. But you have, in order for you to be true to your faith and to be true, to be a true healer, you have to say, I'm just the, the, the vessel. And I have to choose what's best for that person and where the feeling is right. And the people out there who are more in tune with their feelings are the ones that are going to be able to be able to give back. Unfortunately, it works both ways because you give a lot and then you absorb a lot of the negativity. So it's also important that we partner up and support each other 
so that we have a solid foundation going forward. And, and you know, I'd like to say that you'll see something change in our lifetime, but either way, we have to know that we want to leave a legacy, that there's going to be building block, building blocks set up for our kids for the future to know that they're not going to be on this runaway train. And COVID was there to stop us from saying, you know, that's where everybody's going. You know, that's the highway, but that's the highway to nowhere. Absolutely. I mean, COVID is, uh, has been, you know, a course correction. It's a full reset. And I think personally for the better, and I know there's many people who are still dealing with a lot of pain, but I think also, um, you know, as we move forward into a much more caring way mm-hmm. and more community-based, we, we also um, tend to caretake better for the planet. Because mm-hmm. what I've seen is that people who take care of themselves and live a much more natural life yeah. just genuinely connect to nature more and take better care of the planet. Yeah. And so as we move away, I mean, I know that digital is important um, and we're always going to carry on progressing, but we need to actually keep digital in the box that it's in. It should not be the controller. Mm-hmm. You know, we shouldn't have AI plugged into our, our neural links at all. But, you know, we need to be able to use AI in a different way to make our life easier. Yeah. And one of the things that we've done in our um, blueprint for a health, a sustainable health system is we've actually created a common language. So just as you say, um, so that, you know, the doctor is not God anymore. And we've coined the term health guide. Mm-hmm. And anybody in a healing profession can be a health guide. And it's down to that individual to choose which actual health guide they would like to partner yeah. with on that part of their journey. You know, the other thing, um, Melanie, is that we as doctors need to understand, you know, there's this, we've been forced to say, follow the science, follow the science. And those people who are very um, unawakened still follow the narrative because it comes in a published paper. I can tell you firsthand, I've been misquoted in the British Medical Journal. There was an article written and I was quoted by a person who never spoke to me. And she said something that I've never said. And I can tell you for, for a fact that that was incorrect. And that was published journal. And people are so easily believing things because that's what we were taught, you know, get a study, quote a study. And now it's the same thing where we, we talk about mainstream media and we talk about the reporters. That's okay. A lot of people are saying, you know, that person's not really telling you the truth. But if it's in a journal, it's the truth. And for us as, as medical people, as healers, if, if I tell you that I saw a person who stood out in the sunlight and got cured from COVID, for example, and then 10 other doctors say, it's one story is anecdotal. But when we sit together and discuss it with each other, it's not anecdotal anymore. And we have to trust ourselves and trust our personal experiences. And we have to question everything. Because for me, um, the distrust in in the, the, the powers that be have made me turn to my peers and also has made me more in tune to the gut feeling that you mm. get about a person. Because mm. when you're reading a journal, it's black and white, it's supposed, it's supposed to be. But when you're having a chat to a person, after a while you can tell who's lying to you and who's not all on up and up and where there's, um, you know, there's a bit of evil. And the other assumption that we make is that the people who are awake always have the correct morals and they're always going down the same road. Ego can affect anyone at any time. Absolutely. And, and that's another reason why it's so important to be sitting with each other and chatting and we have to be open to that feeling. And if you're sitting in a room and you have, and we call it gut feeling for mm. a reason, it's that feeling in your gut, but it's all linked. So we have to be trusting of things that are that are worth our trust 
and we have to teach each other how to break things down. I mean, uh, Rob's done amazing work in uh, writing articles himself. And I remember we were having a chat once on Zoom and he was saying that he would take an article and he, and, and he used the word, um, uh, he said snapshots. And he said that, and, and it, it stuck with me because it's 100% correct. Because I, if I'm writing an article about something, when we were doing debating at school, mm. and it, you know, the uniforms, um, must school kids wear uniform or not? Whether you believed it or not, a good debater is one who finds evidence to support your view, whether you believe it or not. So when you're reading a journal article, you have to read it in its entirety and find the answer. But if they're already changing it, the way they write it, it's up to us to go, listen, hang on, I don't trust that anymore. What I'm trusting is what I'm seeing. And those snapshot, snapshots that he was talking about, if you read one, art, one part of the same article, it'll mean one thing. If you read one part on the other part, it means something else. But when you read it in its entirety is when the truth is revealed. And we need to go back to that. De depending on whose paper it is. Depending, I, of course. I, of course. I, 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 yes, mean, I, yes, I think yes. I think science has been completely hijacked. And I think, you know, going back to clinical evidence and clinical observation and really looking at what the healers really are doing and what's working. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the one of the professions that's been um, so tarred and feathered over the last few decades is homeopathy. Of course. And now we see, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we've always been supportive of homeopathy. I think, mm -hmm. you know, you know, where they don't understand, they want to ridicule and they want to tear it down. But homeopathy is doing so much for it's coming people, into its own. Yeah. For long COVID, mm -hmm. for treatments, for everything, and all of this original medicine coming back again. So it's about being open, it it's is. about being trusting, it's about allowing, and it's really, as you say, feeling your gut instinct so that you feel the path and and you walk down the path that is that feels the most right to you. Yeah, and for me, you know what, we have to stop being followers. The sovereign beings aren't followers, and we're all leaders in our own lives. Let's not imitate, let's innovate. So, Mark. Two years in, everyone really is unsure out there. There's not a clear view in the public, partially because we're so polarized about what people can do. A lot of people feel incredibly disempowered. Um, talk to me about solutions. What views have you come to? Uh, obviously, we, we're here, yeah, and it's the umbrella of the World Council for Health that's brought us together. Um, and, and obviously we have a mission within the World Council for Health, but, but um, to give practical advice to people around the world, and particularly in Canada, what's your advice? Well, I guess um, that's a, a bit of a complex question. Um, it's meant to be, that's why we're discussing uh, it. Uh, like, <laughs> well, I, I almost like to come at it from, from Two points of view, you know, one is the, the, the elephant in the room, which is um, I've been I've been saying for a while, the cure for COVID and all things like it is justice. And um, so and, you know, coming from a Canadian perspective, coming from the perspective of one of the physicians, one of many physicians in Canada who has stuck to the Hippocratic oath, stuck to science, which is a respectful thing, not this trust the science, Fauci, you know, like like logical thinking, critical reasoning. Um, but as, as one of those physicians, I therefore find myself with the constitutional lawyers of our country engaged in the courts 
with one of the tentacles of really the enemy of mankind, which at this point is the, is the medical regulatory bodies. So the outcome of that is going to determine a lot. And, and we don't know the outcome. I mean, I, I'm an optimist. If, if the law applies, then the outcome of that is going to be the beginning of a magnificent cleansing of a completely corrupted governments and institutions. So if that happens, then, then hallelujah, that's a wonderful thing because we will restructure these things in such a way that, that we're not prone because as, as we mentioned earlier, as terrible as this has been, it wasn't totally new. I mean, people were being poisoned before COVID. People were being lied to before COVID. People were being given, you know, treatments that weren't treatments before COVID. So if we succeed in turning society right ways up again, where the criminals, regardless of how much money they have, are no longer in charge, where they're restrained, and where the law the sovereign rights of people, the sovereignty of nations, where right and wrong mean something again. If that's where we are, then, I mean, this, is, this, this in and of itself becomes a birth of the golden age. If that doesn't happen, which we, we have to consider, you always have to consider what if. If we find that the courts are so corrupted that literally they uphold this and they say, no, all the good doctors that followed the Hippocratic Oath and did the right things, ivermectin doesn't work because we say it doesn't work. Well, then we have to do, we have to, uh, we have to survive and we're going to have to make a sane, uh, a sane sub-society, which of course that will have challenges. I mean, with this, with, with the sort of, uh, you know, wicked people and institutions, if they remain in power, that that's, that becomes very complicated. So I'm, I'm certainly hoping for the first. But then stepping back further, regardless of what that may be, right? Um, you know, one of my friends used to say, Mark, you know what? Sometimes you just got to start right here. Save the world right here, you know? And so I, I think that we need to manage our, our state of mind very you know, like for myself, I say, it's really good to practice thankfulness. But look and say, hey, I'm so thankful that I'm actually here with Rob Birkert, who I've admired and loved working with, and I get to physically be here. You know, I'm thankful. Nice that, of oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I can move my body, you know, to recognize beauty in the world around us, you know, and to, and to be fully present, you know, I mean, so to manage our mind really well um, and, and to, to manage our health well in terms of wholesome nutrition in terms of lots of good fluoride free water in terms of of healthy exercise and good sleep and loving relationships so i think no no matter again i'm i'm really hoping for that this results in you know having exposed just how wicked the these these uh, institutions like the waf and bill gates just how wicked they've become that they've exposed themselves and there's a part where you go wow this has got to be neutered and so that would be that would be wonderful. But either in that context or in a context where we're stuck, where we're not stuck, where we, we have to survive in the shadows, um, I think we still need to embrace the practices of of healthy living mentally, physically, spiritually. How about you? Uh, I, look, I 100% concur with all of that. Um, I think... 
you know, the, the, the challenges of the last couple of years, um, as I indicated before, fast track things. And there's a part of us that, that wants to look at the, the head of the snake and, and tear it off. Um, I think many of us have understood that this, this serpent that we have been dealing with um, is very, very well funded. It's embedded into the fabric of pretty much every mainstream system, the university system, the financial system, the education system, etc. And and what I find really so positive about the, the process that's already underway, or which we're all part of, is this idea of building new parallel structures. So we already see the you know building of new health systems i mean that that's that's community-based health systems that are outside and of course um many people finally awaken to the fact that this thing that we've been calling healthcare is is at best disease management it really does not deal with health when you when you look at um the fact that we just had nasiba as a conventionally trained medical doctor saying that you know for her it's been an extraordinary journey to understand that we need to go back to what she calls original medicine but um you know th this system um of of working with nature rather than against it of of working with the whole system is i mean it's sitting here it's ready for for the pickings and it's about how you empower individuals to make it happen we don't need to wait until um, you know, the medical institutions, the governments, the public health authorities have told us what we need to do. Um, it's, 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 it's here. So um, new medicine, um, even financial systems, new financial systems, the, 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 the development of, of cryptocurrencies, of decentralized systems, um, that's already happening. Um, there are a whole bunch of people who've not felt it appropriate to keep their kids at conventional schools because they've now looked in more detail at the curriculum and they can say, well, isn't it interesting in, in science now, our kids are not learning about um, natural history. They're not learning how the world, how biology, how ecology, how, how the birds and the bees function. Um, they're learning about biotechnology so that you can apply a technology that basically feeds into um, a very small number of people in this corporatocracy that surrounds us. Um, we've seen the birth of a new media. Um, you know, they've tried to censor it, but you know, human beings um, are pretty keen on maintaining this very fundamental um, freedom of expression. And so you can't stamp out our ability to express ourselves. We just find new channels and those channels are now are really coming alive. Um, and, and, you know, I guess two things that have been central to the work I've been doing for the last four decades um, relate to science and also relate to law. And in fact, embedded right in day one of A&H that we set up 20 years ago was this concept of good science and good law. And, and I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is this massive distortion, this overt corruption, both of science and law, doesn't mean that the rule of law and good science isn't important. It's 
doubly important that we we get that right so we need new science we need new law that um and, and ultimately we need to reappraise values that i mean i've been astonished how many values that that we thought were really important values like the value of being respectful to one another um the the, the value of, of of having compassion in healthcare the value of um being grateful for the fruits of nature that are all around us we are of nature it's a very strange thing that we um basically delegate to technological systems that are often pretty dis disrespectful of nature the planetary crisis that we see at the moment that we're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction we've seen massive habitat destruction and degradation um oh yeah and this thing, thing called climate change as well um but, but that's because we 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 don't really respect the, the 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 system and and so when we start to look for solutions whether they are solutions to the environmental crisis we face or the human health crisis actually we see that there's some real commonality it's about understanding those processes being respectful of them um and and not seeing nature as something that only luddites engage with because mm. that's the duality that we're being asked we're being invited we're being coerced to accept is really um i see it as this separation between the people who see all of the solutions to our current crises in a new technology that often involves a patent mm. whereas yeah. i'm much more inclined to say actually all of the solutions we need are already out there we've got to go look for them and we are still babes in the wood we're still beginning to understand how nature works and we've got a very long way we have not reached a finite point <laughs> and we will never reach a finite point in our understanding of these systems all around us so it's it's a really exciting time um uh, for, for me the collaboration of all the people that have come together because of the crisis that we call covid actually is the greatest enabler of all of this happening yeah i guess it's true about hard times make great people mm -hmm. and here we are yeah. coming out of hard times and yeah having to rise to the occasion yeah yeah so rain um you know what what can not just you do but what can you tell people of your generation what can they do a lot of a lot of kids feeling very disempowered at the moment well, i think that reaching out to those who are both older and younger than you you know to consult with people of, of your elder of elder years where you can benefit from receiving their wisdom in conversation and then also paying it forward to those next in line i think that has a very perpetual positive momentum and, and it's very strengthening for a community to have a continuity between the generations and and, and a strengthening in the mentor and mentory relationship and that's interesting because what 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 this crisis has done is often polarize and fragment families and societies so actually there's a lot less of that communication how how do we build um a system that allows fluid you know exchange of ideas and information between the generations given the polarity and fragmentation it, it takes a brave few to take the first step you know it's always um it, it, there's always an internal inertia we have to overcome but when we break through that we own it and we're free and we can we we can engage and embrace 
who the other person is and it becomes easier but it's that first thing that's so hard it's it's so interesting that you refer to yourself as being free and um a lot of young people feel that they've had to subscribe to the narrative in order to make them part of the in-group um and actually being part of that in-group doesn't involve a lot of freedom what it what it does is is provide a, a sense of safety because there's safety in numbers and it appeals to the belonging need the security need in human beings which has um, got a fairly high priority even in uh, Maslow's hierarchy um, but but you talk about freedom which are there a lot of people of your age who are bothered about freedom I mean it's it's the issue that a huge amount of bloodshed has, has been been lost revolutions have been about it um, are people at the point of understanding the importance of freedom? I think every individual is at a different stage in this journey. Um, but I think that ultimately the people or the person that determines one's degree of freedom is themselves. Mm. So we can, hold, we can choose to hold the chains that keep us down or we could let them go and be on our sacred journey. Yeah. So Ren, tell me, I mean, you, you're working really hard on all of this. Tell me about the initiatives that you're directly involved with. So over the last two years, I've had um, a great opportunity and privilege to work with my dad, Dr. Trozzi, and we work on drtrozzi.org where we are um, publishing information um, broadly about COVID-19 um, in many different um, topics related. And my, my recent endeavor starting in early 2022 is over to the youth, which is a youth group uh, for young adults and um, it, it's its purpose is two part it is, firstly is to bring together people who are in those pockets where they feel isolated in their thoughts and to bring them together on the common ground on the common basis that we want to make the world a better place and so we also have publishing opportunities for the people to have their voices heard but ultimately, our role is to create bridges and, and weave connections between young adults and their elders and to connect the or to facilitate the connection between the mentor and the mentoree. Right. Because when we can strengthen and heal that continuous chain that reaches way into the past and way into the future, this can't happen again. That's when we win. That's when this is solved forever, I believe. Lest we forget. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, that, one of the problems is that, is that if we have um, an incorrect understanding of history, I mean, it's fascinating. You look pretty much across the curriculum. Many of the, uh, much of the history that, that we were taught as kids is basically designed to brainwash us into a particular view. Um, but we have to reappraise that history because that's where the real learning is. Um, so um, do do kids of, of your generation, are they interested in re-exploring the history that they learned, say, at school or college? Well, I'm finding out, really. Um, I, I, in my experience so far, I've found that everybody's unique. So I don't think there's a blanket for young people as a whole. I, I, I'm really finding like any generation, each individual has a unique calling and a unique vision and unique characteristics that 
are for that vision. Yeah. And so you know, I just want to help bring it out in the people that I can reach. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really interesting idea because um, I, I've also noticed that I was, when I was campaigning in my 20s, I was always the youngest and now I'm one of the elders. And um, it's true that there's a, there's a quality that you see in certain people that actually is there with them. If they have that fascination for the world around them when they're young, chances are that fascination won't you know, be lost, particularly if they're interested in, in, in change issues. Um, but um, yeah, one of the big differences is, comes down to this idea of locus of power, that, that uh, at the moment, the older people are still kind of in charge of things and you guys are going to be inheriting things. So um, that's a really important sort of dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we feel a, a real sense of responsibility. I certainly do for my own children that um, it's kind of one of my key icky guys, as the Japanese say, one of my real purposes in life is to make sure that I feel when I lie on my deathbed that I've done everything I could to ensure I left behind a better world, um, whatever small part we play in it. Um, but, but that's where the, the drive comes from. And, and so we can actually pass the, the mantle um, over to you guys. Tell me more about over to the youth, how, how people participate, what kind of things they, they do, where, what parts of the world it's operating, that kind of stuff. So over to the youth, we're, we're English speaking, but we are worldwide. Um, we invite people to join us and you can join us through our website and there is an application system in place. So you just reach out through there where you'll give us an idea about who you are and what you, what you are passionate about and what reaches your heart. And then we just have a conversation and then move you into the group. And um, it, 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 it's, uh, it's heading towards operating a lot like a holacracy. So with a lot of autonomy, yeah. I don't believe in, in creating a, a, a pyramid structure for this project. I think that people are most motivated and having the most fun when they're able to be themselves and to be their own entrepreneur. And I really want people to feel that empowerment and carry it everywhere in their life. But um, ultimately, over to the youth, beyond being a network of kindred spirits, it's a bridge into the next step, which is when you connect with the teacher and the teacher connects with the student and the student will help the teacher and the teacher will train the student. Fantastic. Yeah. Over this journey, what's been fascinating is we, we're still in the same place with a growing band of people who see the problem the same way that we see it, but also have understood that right at the heart of the solution is us going back to real basics in terms of who we are as human beings and also looking at our relationship with nature, which has, of course, been the central focus for Alliance for Natural Health since we started 20 years ago.